Welcome to Voices from the Field, a podcast produced by the National Collaborating Center for Indigenous Health. NCCIH focuses on innovative research and community-based initiatives promoting the health and well-being of First Nation, Inuit, and Métis peoples in Canada. In this episode, Dr. James Makokis, a proud Cree and member of the Saddle Lake First Nation, shares ideas about how Indigenous people can stay connected to their elders and traditions while respecting public health guidelines on social distancing. He also offers thoughts about how ceremonial practices may need to adapt moving forward to ensure the continued health and safety of Indigenous people and communities during this pandemic. Dr. Makokis, while we all know there are specific guidelines around social distancing, can you talk about some ways that Indigenous people can stay in touch with elders and traditions during COVID-19? Yeah, of course. I think there's, you know, we're fortunate to have many ways to be able to do this today with um, varying degrees of technology and things like that. And um, I think young people were doing this with elders even before COVID came over here to Turtle Island. Um, and as they work to maintain our languages, our traditions, our songs, and all of those things that we need to stay healthy in our communities and our nation. And I'll just give an example uh, for myself. So, um, you know, training to be a doctor, I had to be away from home for 13 years. And um, it was difficult to, you know, to maintain those connections. So what I did was, um, you know, thankfully was able to record um, elders and their teachings and um, their songs, a lot of the songs that we need to have our ceremonies, because, um, you know, I really recognized that without young people taking on that initiative, um, you know, there's the potential for losing those things. And thankfully, those elders were very kind, allowing me to do that. And so a long time ago, with how knowledge was transmitted was um, you know, with storytelling, and a lot of the time was in the winter time with telling us our ateokeona, uh, our our legends or our spirit teaching stories um, in our mikwaps, our tipis, and we can still do that today, even though we don't live in those anymore. I'm also a long distance uh, trail runner and marathoner, so I'd have to be out running for like three or four hours at a time, and um, I would listen to these recordings, these songs. And it would bring me back to being in that person's living room and everything that they said and everything that they'd shared. And much like how a long time ago people learned by, you know, hearing a song over and over and over again in a teepee, I could just press repeat <laughs> and listen to that same song in that same way over and over again so that I can learn it when I came back home and that needed to be, um, saying or shared that I could do that you know it felt really good and I think that's the that's what young people when we're looking at learning and maintaining our cultures is you know being able to do that and contribute back to our society um, and even when we're away from our elders like as in COVID right now that we still have the independence to be able to carry those on if we need to and I think that's a teaching as well that we're learning from COVID-19 is even though we're away from our teachers, our knowledge holders, that it's encouraging us to be independent, to continue what they've taught us and um, carry that forward. 
And you can still connect with them, whether that's on FaceTime or texting or all the different methods that we have to be able to connect with our elders because they all have iPhones or, you know, they have grandkids with technology. It's a different medium for us to use, which really signals our flexibility as a people, how we've always adapted. You can still go outside with them and physically distance from your teachers. So, you know, we have like four moose hides in our freezer that we just have never had time to work on. And so now we have that time that we're at home and, you know, we're planning to set up our stretchers for our moose hide. And Anthony and I will be on one moose hide. And then, you know, a certain distance away, some of our friends will be working on their moose hide and they're from the same family. And if one of our elder teachers wants to come and inspect, they can also come in and still teach us while being at a distance as well. So you can still continue those things on. You know, we just have to take extra efforts to be cautious about how we do those things now. Dr. Makokas, can you comment on any harm reduction strategies that Indigenous people may want to consider during this pandemic regarding ceremonial practices? You know, I, I think we need to be very cautious when it comes to gathering together during the next summer months. And really, we need to learn about what has happened in other places where we have other relatives. For example, the Navajo Nation has as many cases of COVID as the province of Alberta. The province of Alberta has about 3 million people. The Navajo Nation, I believe, has about 100,000 people living on there. We see the devastation that is happening to our relatives there. And part of that, which has been in the media, was because people were still unfortunately gathering And that helped spread COVID amongst the community. You know, for in terms of harm reduction strategies that are people have always been open to um, new ways of not new ways of doing things, but adapting as we needed to. And if we just reflect on what's happened in the past for our people and what is very real in the memories and minds of people who go to ceremonies or traditional people is the ban that there was on our ceremonies as imposed by you know the Indian Act and federal legislation, which if our people conducted and carried out those ceremonies, they'd be put in jail and imprisonment. So it is a very sensitive issue for our people right now. You know, certainly there are some jurisdictions that have, you know, put bans on those across the country right now. I think we need to reflect about the creativity of our people. And so some of the stories that I reflect on and teachings um, that have been shared, you know, in the past during the time of ceremonial ban is the creativity that our people had. My grandfather lived in the mountains away from all of that, all of the Indian agents and, you know, would run into the bush and hide when they were coming. He'd be told that, um, And what they did at that time to maintain their ways was, you know, having a sweat, a mahtasan, a sweat. They would build that inside of a teepee. So inside of their teepee so that if the Indian agent came, he couldn't see inside, right? Like their home, but they'd be having a sweat inside of there to 
continue our ways and praying and connecting, you know, maintaining that important part of our life and livelihood. You know, that was really under the threat of, a, you know, I want to say like a military imposition of external law on our people that caused those changes to happen, but they adapted so that they would carry them forward into the future. And the same thing with, you know, some of the, um, some of the sun dances on the prairie, they're actually shortened in some places and they still continue to, to do that. And they were shortened because they couldn't have the full ceremony. It would be too long to be able to do that you know, if the Indian agent came. And so they shortened that. And so you kind of wonder why as a younger person, some of these things are done. And um, when you understand the history behind, the, you know, how our people have been affected, they were always creative and they always adapted to those situations. So, so those, are so, those are some of the teachings that I reflect on. But in terms of, of today, I think we also need to be uh, adapting and flexible in the things that we do. If we were to have a sweat at my house, for example, you know, I'd encourage it to to be just the people that live in our house. The thing about this virus is people can carry it asymptomatically for up to 14 days, which is a long time. If you think back to what you were doing 12 days ago, I'm sure most of us couldn't remember that, let alone three days ago. So during that time, you can pick it up and not show symptoms. And then if we bring it to a place where there's many of our loved ones and um, our elders and ceremonial leaders, that we could give it to them unknowingly. And that's something that we have to take very serious because our elders and our traditional medicine people are so important to us, as is everybody in our community, especially the children. And we want to protect those people that are the most vulnerable because we need them. We need that knowledge to continue on to be transmitted to young people. So I see, you know, in the past how other communities have adapted their ceremonies. I think of some of the piercing sun dances in the prairies. You know, they've adopted harm reduction strategies and the people who are doing the piercings use a new scalpel and they use new gloves with each person that they're going to be piercing. And I think that is good. I think, you know, that shows a real understanding for the present situation that we're living with in terms of uh, preventing the transmission of bloodborne illnesses in that case, like hepatitis C or HIV. Um, and we, we have this knowledge now that we know about some of these things and they didn't exist in the past. You know, we didn't need to make those changes in the past, but the reality of our present situation is that Indigenous people, for various reasons, due to colonization, social sicknesses of colonization, social disparities, are overrepresented in many of these illnesses. You know, in that particular instance of HIV, of hepatitis B, for example. And so if those changes aren't made, then there is the potential for people who go there for help to go away from that gathering with an illness that they otherwise might not have had. And so in terms of COVID, I think there's some solutions that uh, are possible in a harm reduction way to prevent the spread 
within our communities and to other communities. We know that uh, when we come together in ceremony, we all come together in a good way, but we come from many different places across the land. So a ceremony can be in Treaty 6, but people come from Treaty 7, Treaty 8, Treaty 4, Treaty 3, to support, which is so beautiful. And then they go back to their communities. And we've been really fortunate in our First Nations reserves to have very few cases so far. And part of the reason of that is our leaders have been very proactive in securing our borders to only band members, only community members, and only essential health workers or essential service providers, because we know what's happened in the past with previous pandemics. And so we have to continue with that same vigilance as we continue understanding about COVID-19 and the potential devastating effects that it can have on our people into the second wave as that comes and into the third wave, that we can still have some of these, but we have to do things differently or we have to consider how to do things differently. It can mean extra work. And some of the things that I've been thinking about around this is, as I said, many of the communities have been closed. You know, one solution is if people are going to come from outside of the community, and where the community has been closed to outsiders is asking them maybe to come in 14 days before and stay in their area only with their family and not interacting with other people. And then after the gathering and going home and self-isolating again for 14 days. And then within the actual gathering, making considerations for you know, not sharing certain items or instruments like that. So you can quickly see how much extra work and planning that would take to go into that, but that there are options for people if they wanted to continue doing these because of their commitment. You know, there are ways of going around that and that many Indigenous physicians and Indigenous health workers are grounded in our own teachings as well. You know, we do follow that way of life, and it's important for us to all work together to ensure the safety and well-being uh, of all of our people and our nation. So what this is teaching us is that no nation is immune to this, and we all have to be cautious to protect all members within our nation because any loss due to COVID-19 is, is too great. Dr. Makokas, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having me on today. Have a good day. To hear more podcasts in this series, head to the Voices from the Field homepage, located on the website of the National Collaborating Center for Indigenous Health, nccih.ca. Music on this podcast is by Blue Dot Sessions. It appears under a Creative Commons license. Learn more at www.sessions.blue.